Chakalaka. It is Monday. This is Back from the Brink, and I am Todd Brinker. Monday the 5th, 2021. Aaron will be joining us in just a few moments. We appreciate you being here. Hope you're having a wonderful day whenever you happen to be listening to this. Um, so we were talking about the NCAA tournament earlier, and... Uh, the head coach, Mark Few of Gonzaga, has an insane record. This guy's <clears throat> 630 to 124. 630 to 124. And Gonzaga's a, a small school. It's not that big. Um, and this is a guy who started coaching before he'd even graduated. He was uh, already coaching uh, at the high school level while he was still in, in college, um, which... I say that I did the same thing with swimming, so that's not that big a deal. I mean, it's like, yeah, okay, Uh, you take a part-time job or you volunteer as a part-time job to uh, because you like doing it and you want to start learning, and that was part of his education. Clearly, um, six thirty to one twenty-four, he is that. That's his win-loss record. It's uh, it's uh, very impressive, very impressive. He um, was at Gonzaga as a graduate assistant coach. From uh, 89 to 90. From 90 to 99, he was an assistant coach. 1999, he became head coach. And in that time since then, he has gone 630 to 124. In the NCAA Division I tournament, he is 36 and 20. Um, and that is ostensibly a much more difficult place for you to have a team that hangs in there. He has never, in his tenure as coach, not made the postseason, uh, the, the, the uh, NCAA tournament with the exception of last year when there was no NCAA tournament but his team had an automatic um, uh, spot in that by virtue of winning their uh, their division or winning their conference and so he would have made it there so he has essentially an unblemished he's never made one that went on the years that they've had them and I should say I guess is probably the way to say it is uh, because they you know you think they have it every year but they didn't have one last year so um yeah, what a phenomenal record. Um, he uh, has had uh, just uh, uh, a ton of talent come through there. Um, you know, obviously, you know, young men who are thinking about playing basketball consider Gonzaga if they're good enough. He's had five uh, first-team All-Americans. Um, he's had uh, five go on to play in the NBA all five uh, played in the NBA along with a, a list of, you know, 20 other people. Um, and uh, he's been the West Coast Conference Coach of the Year six consecutive seasons at one point. Um, you know, I mean, how do you not make him Coach of the, coach of the Year for, the, for his conference? You know, they just, it just, it's, it's funny how you look at some people's careers, and especially as coaches, and you go, that guy's figured it out, whatever it is. And, and sometimes you say, well, yeah, but look at all the talent they got. Well, it also takes a lot of skill to take some really talented people, regardless of what age they're at, whether they be high school or college or pros, and, and get all of those egos and all of those people working together as a team. It takes a lot of talent. There's a reason that um, uh, 
that Bill Belichick has had the success that he's had, um, and it wasn't just Tom Brady. Um, I mean, I, you know, if you look at it, part of the reason Tom Brady left that team is because they were just depleted in talent. And last year, a good chunk of their talent said they weren't going to play because of COVID. This year, you watch. They're going to do well. They're not, they, they may not be dominant, but they're going to do well. Um, and, and he's positioning his team to reload with, uh, with their quarterback back of the future. He's going to try to get that going. You know, Belichick knows what he's doing, and he knows how to win. Uh, and I'm no fan particularly of New England, but Bill Belichick knows how to win. And there's a lot of people who say, yeah, but he also knows how to cheat. He probably pushes the limits in lots of different ways, as do a lot of winners. You know, um, there's a reason that, um, uh, you know, that the um, uh, Phil, um, oh shoot, uh, Phil Jackson has 11 NBA championship rings. And it's not solely because he was coaching Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was in the league for, for years before he won a championship. It took Phil Jackson to help him learn to be the player that he needed to be to bring his team with him. You know, and it took them to put the right people around him. Um, when he came to L.A. and coached Kobe and, um, uh, and Shaq, um, you know, those two, eventually, you know, they split apart because they're just very different people and different ways of approaching life and, and, and the game, but both supreme talents and big egos, and he managed that. You know, and so when you look at somebody like Mark Few, you say, yeah, he's recruited a lot of really great players. He's also coached them really, really well. Um, and and there's no denying that, um, you know, there's just a skill to working with people of that level and making sure that they all feel like they're being taken care of. And yet, uh, you know, uh, and, and you stroke their egos and you and you give them incentives to to uh to move forward and do well and uh you do what you got to do um and uh yeah so it'll be interesting to see the game tonight against baylor um those of you who are basketball fans will will i'm sure be enjoying even if you're not a fan just watch the game watch how they move people in and out and uh and watch the coaching and you'll see that coaching has a lot to do with uh with the success and the continued success, even when, you know, you, you turn over people, you know, again, going back to Belichick and, and obviously with, you know, college basketball, um, every season, it's a whole new group of people. And yet, you know, some people seem to manage to still get that whole new group of people to work together and, uh, uh, and, and win, you know, they, 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 they create a team out of a bunch of individuals and that's what a good coach is able to do and something that I when I'm coaching swimming strive to do is to inspire them all to work together in a team so uh, here's Aaron hello there Oop. the connection is poor we'll see if we reconnecting we'll see if it reconnected it's if it reconnects, are you there? I guess not. I guess not. So um, we'll uh, we'll hang up and try again. Are you there? I am. Are you there? Hi. Ah, that was hi, weird because I 
I got this long sort of like, we have a poor connection reconnecting sound, and then it just hung there for a while. I was literally just uh, seconds away from clicking on the hang up and retry. And then it connected. Okay. And then it connected. Then it connected. Yeah. Oop. There we go. Got tangled up in my headphone uh, wire. I was just talking a little bit more about the um, uh, NCAA tournament, specifically uh, Mark Few, who is the coach of the uh, Gonzaga Bulldogs. And he's been the coach since 1999 and has won 630 games to 124 losses. And in, in that entire time, his team has never not qualified for the NCAA playoffs or the tournament. Seriously? Uh, yeah, with the exception, obviously, of last year when there was no tournament. But, uh, but he, And even then, he, he would have had an automatic bid to the tournament because his team was the uh, uh, conference championship or conference champions. So, you know, and, and just kind of applying that to coaches that, that are incredibly successful and always are. You can turn over their, their team and the number of people are there, but there's something about those people who know how to take a group of talent and make them a team that can win, you know. And whether you love him or hate him, I know there's a lot of people who call him a cheater, but Bill Belichick has done it time and time again. And I know they'll say, well, look at last year, he, how he did when he lost Tom Brady. Well, Tom Brady, part of the reason Tom Brady left, quite frankly, is because the talent had been completely depleted from that team and they had used all of their their resources to get new people. Uh, and so they had nobody. And so they knew they were going into a rebuilding year or two. And Tom Brady, at his age, didn't want to go through a rebuild. He was He wanted to keep winning. And so he went somewhere where there was more talent around him. And I don't blame him for that. But you watch... Belichick is going to put together a team this year that's going to do much better than last year, and next year, I they'll be right back at the top of the game. That's just who he is, you know. Phil Jackson, and and you say talent, but you know Phil Jackson also coached Michael Jackson, uh, Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, and you say, well, he had all that talent. No wonder he won. It takes skill as a coach to manage all those egos and get them to to give up the ball for a better shot because that's the smart thing to do as a basketball player. And even though, you know, right. you know you're the best player on the it takes a lot of talent and a lot of skill to coach and manage people with a lot of talent. They don't just automatically go and win. You know, Michael J- uh, uh, Jordan was in the league for years before he won a championship because he didn't have a coach who knew how to teach him to play as part of a team that was going to win. And he figured that out once he did get out of his way. He, you know, he was basically unstoppable, um, you know, and it didn't make his game suffer. He just learned to make everybody around to to elevate the team around him. And, and you know, and they got the right people around him. They got Scottie Pippen around him, you know, and, and others. Um, and so, you know, I just kudos to coaches who can do that and do it consistently. And let me tell you, this guy's been doing it for, you know, two decades. Um, I mean, he's like I said, never not made the tournament. Um, and uh and is just, you know, wow, what a phenomenal coach. He's going to end up in the Basketball Hall of Fame. There's just no way he can't at this. And he's 58. You know, he's still, you know, young in terms of coaches. There's a lot of coaches who coach well into their 70s. So, um, you know, he, he's not done yet. So what? how many uh, Gonzaga grads have gone on to the NBA? Um, 
Well, they've had five people who were first round all or first team all Americans, and and they they were in the NBA, and then there was like an additional look to me like I didn't I didn't count them out, but probably fifteen or so. So so he's probably had twenty or more um, people go on to play in the NBA, um, which you know. You say, well, that doesn't sound like a huge amount in 20 years, but that's like basically averaging every year somebody on his team goes to the NBA and and makes it. Now, that's not to say that a lot of them don't try, but the NBA is difficult. It's, you know, and it's a very limited club. Um, it's not like, um, well, I shouldn't say it's not like, but they don't really have a, you know, now they, they've just recently in the last few years started having like a minor league. They've got the G League where you can come in and then earn your way onto a team. You can play your way onto a team. But, you know, in baseball, they've got, you know, several layers of of uh, of minor leagues. And so you can get signed by a major league team and play in the minor leagues for a couple of years before you then get called up. Um, you know, and so there's, you know, there, a lot more people get drafted into baseball because it's just a bigger organization um, than basketball. And, uh, it, you know, it's it's a tough leap, even if you're at the the, the best um, as uh, I've heard many people who, who follow the NBA say, it's like the game suddenly, suddenly now everybody's bigger and faster. You know, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. And it's just, it's the things that you do at the college level, you not can't necessarily do when you get to the, to the pro level because you can't, the guys don't move out of the way. They, they step in front of you quicker. It's just, um, it's, it's a tougher game, you know? And well, it's funny. from all over the world. They do, they do, and basketball's gotten weird too. In that most of the college players who are going to go on to the um, NBA play one year, so they're basically one year of college out of high school. And so when they come into the NBA, they're still very young, unlike um, you know in years past. I mean, uh, you know, I talked about uh, Magic playing Bird in the NCAA championships uh, when they were in college. Magic was a junior, and Bird was a senior. You know, they were in their, their early 20s. Some of these kids are still in their teens when they're, like, you know, done with their first year and they're moving on uh, to the pros. I mean, you know, they're really young. And, you know, a 19-year-old or, a, a you know, a 20-year-old uh, just isn't as physically mature and strong as somebody who's, you know, 25 or 26 and been playing professional sports for a couple years. So you move up to that level and, and you get, you know, you get your bell rung a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, moving uh, somebody up off your program every year who makes it is impressive. Um, and that's his average. I mean, it's not like he's done it every year, but he's, that's, has been his average. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, go, yeah. Go Zags, go Baylor. I, I hope for nothing but a fantastic game. So, What time does the game start? Have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for uh, being on top of it? Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll, let me click on ESPN real quick, and it'll, it'll, I'm sure, pop up and tell you. Of course, the first thing on their page is Bryson DeChambeau is ready to take another big swing at Augusta National because... I guess that opens this week as, as well. So here we are. We scroll down the third item. The third story is the championship at 6.20 p.m. Um, and uh, you know what? It doesn't say whether it's Eastern or not. I always hate that, too, because um, on some websites, like, localize the time for you and others don't. And so I don't know. 
um, if it's Eastern. Let me see if I can click on it and uh, get the actual info. Uh, but uh, Gonzaga Baylor at 6... And, and 6.20, isn't that an interesting time? Basketball does that. Even pro basketball does that. What time is the game? It's, you know, at, at 11.25. Yeah, you're like, what? <laughs> Yeah, and it's so weird too because you tune in at that time, and you know, and, and they're they're getting ready. It's always such an iffy thing with that sport in particular. You know, it's like the, we're sort of getting ready, and then you see, okay, they just finished the shoot around, and then there's a few minutes, and then they start introducing the players, and you know, sometimes sometimes it's 15 minutes after that before the game starts. But if you wait till 15 minutes after that to tune in, then what you get is you're halfway through the first quarter, and you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, you just never know. You gotta tune in and watch. Um, it is six twenty p.m. Pacific time, so that is our time. All right. Thank you, so, ESPN, cool. for for uh, identifying that it is PT. <sighs> have you ever noticed so, that though? Some um, some sites you go to have the time. They, they, they a lot of times default to putting Eastern time up there, but at least they put ET behind it. So, you know that, but sometimes they just give you like, this is going to happen at this time. And you're like this time where, where it's happening this time, where the yes. studio or of the website was put up or, or my time, you know, you just don't know. They need to be more clear when you're looking for events. So what other exciting news is happening? So, um, you know, we talked about, uh, uh, oh, I hate that, dang it. Don't you hate it when you click on, uh, 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 uh. I don't want this stupid ad. I'm trying to change pages and it, and this ad pops up and then you can't do anything. I hate people who design ads that pop up over what you're doing. Or when you try to click to leave the page, instead of letting you leave or go back, it pops an ad up and says, hey, look at this. And then you can't figure out how to get the stupid thing off the page so that you can go where you want to go. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Anybody who puts ads up like that should have their website burnt to the ground. Of course, it's virtual, so burning does no good. But you know, somebody sh- you, they should buy. They should like you know, uh, you know, burn a computer in effigy for their website. Um, yeah. Um, hmm. Okay. So let's see. The Argentinian leader has COVID despite having had the Russian vaccine. Which tells you that the Russian vaccine doesn't work. Yeah. So far, the world seems to want our vaccine a lot. The ones that we're that we are using, they're going like, "Hey, the U.S. is using these. That's the one we want." Um, but a lot of countries have cut deals with China and Russia to use their vaccines because a) they're available and b) they're cheap. And for the most part, we're not giving ours out anywhere because we bought up the whole supply of them and we're still giving them to our people. Um, you know, there are some excesses out there. I've heard that we have a large stockpile of the AstraZeneca v- uh, vaccine here, too, um, but that it hasn't yet been approved by the FDA, and so um, we can't use it. And there's been some talk about, you know, making that available to Canada and Mexico so that they can further vaccinate. But because uh, apparently they have approved the AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca vaccine, but they have bought all they can and don't have enough. Um but that they we're holding up just a little bit because I guess the FDA says that they're pending approval. And if they do get the approval, then, then we can use the AstraZeneca and then we'll have four different vaccines that we can use here. I wonder what, what's well, the, um, 
politics behind holding it up? I mean, if they're going, if they're, if it's pending approval, what's holding it up? Is it just pol- political, or is there some issue with that vaccine? Well, there were some issues preliminarily in uh, in the UK um, and in yeah, Europe. So Apparently, there were been... some blood clots. Right. Yeah, that was one of the concerns. Um, and they held its use up for a couple of days in the UK, but then resumed and said after checking it out and testing it that that wasn't much. What, one of the articles that I read regarding the blood clots was they were concerned because there was like X number of blood clots for X number of vaccines. And somebody who's, who studies that stuff says, but that's actually a lower number than happens in the general population percentage-wise, that the, the blood clots, that, that that number of blood clots would have happened in any body of people if you gathered them together and said, you know, here's 200,000 people, we're going to get X percentage of people in that group that might have a blood clot. And th- this number was actually lower than that, so there wasn't that big of a deal, which is, I guess, what they then found when they researched it. But, you know, news people want to report something, so. Yeah. So... I, I, it's my understanding that the Biden administration said that they're going to make um, uh, at the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine available. Like, I thought it was already shipping. Yeah, I, so, to my knowledge, it's, I mean, unless something just happened today, I, I, that it, it uh, last I, mean, I outside heard. Outside the country, not in the U.S. Outside the country. Oh, oh, okay. They had already made the decision to share it with, with the, our, our stockpile. Okay, that makes sense. Um, the AstraZeneca, you know, if we're not, yes, for the AstraZeneca. Yeah, yeah, if we're not using it, it why hold it? on to it? Yeah, if other people can use it, let them use it. Why are we, you know, sitting on it if we're not using it? Yeah, it's like if we're going if exactly. we're going to approve it and if we're going to use it, then great. Um, and quite honestly, that may be the political thing. Is like, well, let's not approve it here because we want to go ahead and give it to somebody else so that we can help, uh, and we seem to have enough of the other ones, and so don't approve it here. And that way, then we don't get yelled at for giving it away by you know, political opposition because we weren't using it anyway because it hasn't been approved, right? So they play those kind of games. Um, Yes. So the North Atlantic right whale uh, has actually increased their population over this past winter, which is encouraging signs because their population uh, had been decreasing significantly. And three years ago, they they said that there were no offspring at all. Uh, in the in the North uh, Atlantic right whale population, and uh, they had seventeen so, newborn what, right what whale is a, calves. A right whale. What, so a right whale. Right uh, is spelled W R I G H T. It's named after the person who discovered the species, and it's similar to a humpback. It's a large, uh, uh, fairly large whale. Um, that's a baleen whale, so it's a uh, you know a filter feeder, um, and. Uh, and apparently the population has been dwindling and they've been critically uh, endangered for a, a period of time. So it's nice to see that, you know, 17 new babies and that they're, uh, that they're, you know, sort of making a comeback. They said that the entire population had dwindled down to only about 360 individuals and that they've been monitoring them. Oh a lot of them are, are, have been tagged so that they can, um, you know, monitor them and see where they're at and how they're doing and keep, keep an eye on the population of, uh, of whales in the North Atlantic. Yeah. Wow. They said that the uh, slump may have been caused by a shortage of zooplankton to feed the uh, right whales in the Gulf of Maine and the Bay of Fundy off of Nova, Nova Scotia. 
And they said that the uptick in births could be that the whales are healthier after shifting to waters where there's more abundant food sources. So they just kind of said, okay, this, this area we've kind of eaten through, so let's move, let's migrate a little bit. And then while they're gone, then the, the uh, plankton will repopulate the areas that they previously were in. So they, you know, that's, what, we're, what we're probably observing is a natural phenomenon. But, you know, when you've only got 360 individuals left in your species, um, it's of concern when there's no births. Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know enough about them that I could spot a whale and say, hey, that's a right whale. But uh, yeah, I'd probably I, have the, I, I I'd probably have the wrong whale. Ar, ar, ar. But, uh, you know, I, I guess it just, it's, it's an encouraging sign when you're seeing, uh, you know, new births and new babies and, uh, you know, in the springtime, that's, that's kind of what's supposed to happen. Right. And so, uh, you know, good for them. I hope that the, um, that the animals, uh, continue their, uh, their growth and into an abundance. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I have all kinds of kitties eating, eating yeah. canned food. So my house smells like cat food. Yum, yum. Yeah. Sort of like vaguely a smell of tuna. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny. Got little kitties and a big and our, kitty. And a big kitty. Our older male cat is actually being okay with the little guys. He was he had That's... his little whiskers out of joint in the in the the first night, but then he's better yeah. now. Yeah, he's like, okay, I get it. They're babies. I guess I won't eat them in your sleep <laughs> while you guys are sleeping. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, and I think he too. He was used to having other cats around. He's probably feeling kind of lonely, and so even though these are our babies, it, he says, "Well, there's more of my people here. That's good." Exactly. Yeah. He's never been a solo cat. Yeah. Until now. Until now. So, anywho, I know that so, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but they're so adorable. So, they are so um, cute. you and uh, Tobin are both very much involved with the Inland Empire Children's Book Project, right? Yes, we are both on their board, right? So, um, so and, and I and anybody who's ever visited your home knows that books are near and dear to you guys. You've basically got your own little library there, and uh. And, uh, you know, are both voracious readers and read lots of cool stuff. So apparently, um, uh, thieves climbed into a roof of a warehouse near Heathrow Airport, cut a hole in a skylight, then repelled down the ropes, um, uh, or perhaps a folding ladder. They're not quite sure exactly how they did it, but they got inside this warehouse and spent five hours collecting rare books. And they made away with about 240 including things written by Copernicus worth uh, over $293,000 just by itself, one of the, one of the books by, written by Copernicus. All told, they think their stash was worth around $3.4 million uh, on the open market. And oh uh, they, they went out the way they came in, and Scotland Yard followed up on it, working with detectives from Scotland Yard and Germany, Romania, and Italy, a combination of lucky breaks and including uh, a, a random traffic stop 
uh, and a few tips, and they figured it out. As it turns out, they weren't circus performers climbing in, but the culprits were members of a Romanian crime syndicate um, who became known in the in the media as the Mission Impossible Gang. <clears throat> kind of sounds like that, right? Like you, you just see Tom Cruise dropping down on the rope and dangling above the floor. Um, yes. But uh, But it took them about a year before they figured it out and almost three years before they had enough evidence to round up the gang. And, uh, and now they've got a big trial started. Of course it was interrupted with COVID. And so, um, rather than spend all their time in jail waiting, all but one of the men pleaded guilty to the heist and some similar ones and received sentences from three to five years for book thievery. Uh, but they didn't know where the books were until they raided a house built by one of the two gang members, a pair of brothers near their parents' home in the Romanian countryside, and they found all but four of them in a bunker under the concrete garage floor. Wow. So they, they found all the rare books except for four of them, and those maybe were sold off on the black market or something. But uh, but good for them. I'm glad they found the books, uh, or at least most of the books. But yeah, definitely like a, a, a this 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 reads almost like a a Mission Impossible novel or something, right? Or a mission, the script for a Mission Impossible movie. Um, uh, you know, find the books. Your uh, what was it? Your your assignment, Mister Phelps. <laughs> Should you choose to accept it, you and your I am yeah, force. You know, <laughs> As always, if any of your I am force be captured or killed, we will disavow. The secretary will disavow any of your act- knowledge of any of your actions. There you go. I got it out. I'm sorry. You were saying? <laughs> no, that's okay. Sorry, I thought you were done. Um, I was trying to uh, bum fumble my way through that line. <laughs> So it's uh, who would have thought that somebody would go in, you know, break into a library and steal and steal books. I mean, I I suppose if I think about it, like, yeah, there's a market for that. There's I mean, there's a black market for almost anything. Right. So. um, But, uh, yeah, it's just surprising to me. You know, and I believe it was surprising to them, too. Yeah, if you like that kind of thing and you're interested in those kinds, there's a fantastic book called Marie Antoinette's Watch. And it's a, about a um, uh, a handmade watch that was made for Marie Antoinette by uh, Abraham Louis Bureau. Bureau. Uh It was the 160th watch that he made. And it has been called a poem in clockwork. It is, and there's photos, you can look at it online, but there's a, a, a telling, it's a nonfiction story that almost comes off sounding like fiction, very similar to this. Uh, you know, they talk about in and out of the hands of royalties, revolution, royalty, revolutionary smugglers, thieves, and the world's greatest tech engineers. And so it's, it's a, wow. a twisting tale that is quite, quite interesting. Uh, uh, it's a really good book. So if you're looking for another book to add to your library or just a good read, and it's a fairly quick read, um, it is uh, quite quite the story. So highly yeah, recommended. Marie Antoinette's, yeah, Marie Marie Antoinette's Watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things where you go like, Really? Wow. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's well told. So well there's told. a throwdown happening in Georgia. Um, so dun, dun, dun. Georgia, Repu- 
Yeah, exactly. Georgia Republican state lawmakers want Coca-Cola to remove its products from congressional offices. Now, Coca-Cola is made in Georgia. And so um, they want the products removed from congressional offices after the company slammed the state's new election reforms. This is from Tim Pierce at the Daily Wire. Um, so this is what's happening. Republican State House reps Victor Anderson, Clint Crow, Matt Barton, Jason Ridley, Lauren McDonald III, Stan Gunter, Dwayne Hill, and Marcus uh, Wiedor signed a, Saturday, a letter on Saturday denouncing the company for uh, contributing to an out-of-control cancel culture. So um, upon the passage, this is a quote, upon the passage of the Election Integrity Act of 2021, your company has made the conscious decision to perpetuate a national dialogue which seeks to intentionally mislead the citizens of Georgia and deepen a divide in our great state. Uh, we have the responsibility to all of Georgia not to engage in those misguided intentions nor continue to support corporations who choose to. Uh, SB 202 expands early voting opportunities, provides a pathway to ensure shorter voting lines, secures the, uses, the use of drop boxes, which otherwise would be illegal, as well as several other provisions allowing all Georgians greater access to fast, secure, and transparent elections. As the quote goes on, given Koch's decision to cave to pressure from an out-of-control cancel culture, we respectfully request all Coca-Cola company products to be removed from our office suite immediately. They, uh, should Coke choose to read the bill, share its true intentions, and accept their role in the dissemination of mistruths, we should welcome a conversation to rebuild a working relationship. Dang! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, Coca-Cola is like a corporate icon, especially in Georgia, right? I mean, they're, yes. they're huge everywhere. They're one of the largest corporations and most recognized logos in the world. But... Uh, yeah, they're super proud of the fact that they're from Georgia. You know, it's it, that'd be like yeah. saying take Dr. Pepper out of Texas. It ain't happening. Yes, um, it ain't happening. Yeah, this is, um, this is out of the state house. And so, what what Coca Cola has mm -hmm. come out and slammed this election, uh, this new election law in um, in uh, Georgia. The problem is, is that the things that they've said about it are not true. Like they're right. saying that it's you know going along with the lie that it's the new Jim Crow. It's absolutely not. And, yeah. um, and is more, has more options for voting than many other states that are not getting any grief at the moment. So, you know, what's uh, troubling to me is that, that, um, I mean, I know it's happened in the past, but it seems like in this particular instance, more and more corporations are coming out and taking a stand on something or the CEO of yes. the corporation speaking for that corporation is taking a stand on something political. And it's like, you know, yes. your job is to make uh, flavored fizzy water. Your job is to to make, uh, you know, great phones and, and computers because Tim Cook is also come out against this uh, bill in Georgia. You know, baseball has canceled the, um, was it baseball? It canceled the all-star game that was supposed to be in Georgia this year. Yes. They've moved it. Yes. Um, and it's like, I don't want that from, from companies and from organizations. Individuals voice what you want to voice. You're an individual. You have a right to an opinion. But, you know, you can't tell me everybody in your company believes exactly along the same lines that, that the leadership does. And even if they did, you know, it's it's not a... It's not a business's place to be trying to influence popu the, the population, especially when clearly they're they're propagating propaganda as opposed to actually reading the document. Now, I printed out the 102 page PDF exact words of the bill and read through it. <laughs> there was a lot there. Oh, I didn't print it 
out. I read it on my phone. Yeah, I printed it out because it's too little to read on the phone. So I actually printed it out, and I went through with a Sharpie and highlighted the areas that that um, that they've been talking about so that I could then see what it actually says versus what the um, uh, what the the propaganda from the left is trying to say about this thing. And there's a few things that I personally, you know, okay, I agree. It's maybe not the perfect wording on it and that they're going about it a little bit differently. But, you know, nobody's pointing out that they actually added seven more days of early voting to to the current law. They've actually increased the amount of pre-voting that could be done in this bill. But nobody wants to say that because because that doesn't go with the narrative, you know, is that that more people are getting an opportunity to vote. They're getting very bent out of shape about the fact that, that you know, if you send in a, a an absentee ballot, that they're asking that you put the last four digits of your social or your driver's license on it just so we can say, OK, this is you, you know, some sort of of identification to that ballot beyond just signing a name to it that, you know, that presumably an individual is not going to hand out their their social and their their driver's licenses to strangers to to to, you know, put ballots in because there is a a sense among the population and i think that it's it's incumbent on the business to um to or the business the government to uh, assuage this this concern that things like uh people going through old folks homes through retirement homes and filling out ballots for everybody and 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 then coming out with a whole bunch of ballots that 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 you filled out and that they then just signed you know and and so or maybe they didn't even sign. You just signed it for them. Um, whether or not that's happening, because there was no, you know, nobody's found any specific evidence. Although, you know, I would suspect that in every election, given the size of our country, that there are some illegal votes that happen. I mean, it just it's going to happen. There's, you know, our country's too big for it not to. But, you know, trying to make some effort to to tie a one vote back to one person is not, you know, the the end of creation as as it's being described. Um I think it's just a little, little overblown, and and it sounds to me like a lot of the hyperbole, like you're saying, is just not, you know, trying to say this is a Jim Crow is the the is tantamount to saying that something is is like Hitler, you know, it's 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 a yes. way overstatement as to what's really going on in most cases, you know, they're they're, you know, they're not taking people out and lynching them, and at when Jim Crow was going on, um, what they're doing is they're trying to to get their population to have a trust in the in the count of the votes again because they feel like there's yes. a good number of people in their state who don't really trust that their votes are being properly counted and fairly accounted for yes yes yeah yeah i um you know but you know the 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 um uh the liberal media is not going to let go of this anytime soon and it will probably somebody's probably going to get worked up and it's going to end up being reviewed by a court um you know and i'm certainly not a lawyer but i didn't see anything in there that to me looked like it was horrific or illegal um no you know and no it was it to me it was obvious that they were doing their best to 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 find rational uh uh resolution uh, rational responses to some of the things that happened some of the allegations that happened in the last election and say okay well we need to make things more transparent and more predictable and i think that that's all they're trying to do i i I don't think that 
you know, certainly all the things that are being alleged about, you know, it's in, infringing on voting rights and they don't want people of color to vote. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know what? We just had this this Stacey Abrams got the vote out and blah, 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 blah. There's lots of people voting. Yeah. People of color voting in uh, in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Now, the one thing, yeah. you know, I said there were things that that, that to me like didn't um, are, are issues and not issues. I I, just, I do. You know, there there is a section where it very clearly does state that you can't bring food or water to anybody when they're standing in line. They did say very, you know, that nothing prevents the the people running the 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 the, uh, the voting site from doing that. But they don't want um, people who are affiliated with a party or um, or with a um, um, you know with a, a particular so candidate. Right, doing that. There, there are already laws on the books saying that you can't do that within X number of, you know, a distance from the polling site. And if the lines are longer than that, as long as they're outside of the distance from the polling site, I don't see why that's an issue. Because, you know, A, they shouldn't make the line so that long. They need to, they need to streamline the process and get more um, booths or whatever they need in that place. Um, you know, to me, that's... But but I understand what they're saying. They don't want people to go and and uh, say, "Hey, vote for Bob," while while you're standing in line to vote. You know, here's a piece of here's a bottle of water from Bob. You know, everybody vote Bob, and and you know you, you're not allowed to do that already though. So I I don't see why this is that big of a deal. They're not allowed to electioneer, um, and I guess they were sort of getting around that is what they're saying that there was a fear that people were like, "I'm not electioneering. I'm just giving them some water because it's hot out here." Um, yes. You know, then they should have followed on with something saying if it's going to be over X amount of temperature or something, then then, you know, polling places will have water available for people or something like that. You know, maybe they should have added that because I can see that's a little dicey. It's it's, you know, okay, you know, but you know what? You have to have specific rules to block things when you see that people are taking advantage of the of the way that. You know, they're breaking the spirit of the law, right? Is like if the law was you're not supposed to electioneer within 100 feet of or 200 feet of the polling place, and people are coming over handing out water, going, "Well, I'm not electioneering; I'm just handing out water." Well, that's kind of breaking the spirit of it, right? You're, you know, you're handing out water, and you're wearing the Vote Bob T-shirt. You know, are you electioneering? Yeah, kinda. You kind of are. Um, you know, and if that was happening, then they're going to like, "Look, guys, you can't do that." stop it um but you know they seem to be focused on that in as a criticism um and it's like yeah i can kind of see it but if you guys weren't pushing the limits in the first place then if some people i shouldn't say you guys but you know if some people weren't pushing the the rules in the first place to skirt around the existing rules they wouldn't have had to tighten up the rules so they were you know nothing says that if you're going to go stand in line on a hot day you can't bring a bottle of water with you it's true well, and election you know? workers can hand out water. I mean, like you said, yeah. election workers can hand out the yeah. water. They so can. They just don't want electioneering. Right. Yeah, and that doesn't say that you know if you're um, if you if you're concerned if you're really concerned about people having water and you're not using it to really electioneer, then go you know you as a candidate can go donate water and let the electioneers or the the election workers distribute it. Then yes. you're actually helping people with water, but not kind of cheating the rules. Right? You just can't. You can't put "vote Bob" on the bottles. Right. Yeah. You know they can say "get out the vote" instead. Yes. But they can't. Yeah. You know, they you can't support a. 
Yeah. Can't, can't. Thank you for voting. That would be awesome, too. Yeah. Yeah. So we are completely out of time. We are. Tis another Monday in the books. We'll be back tomorrow, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Todd Brinker. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. Go hug on them kitties. Thank you.